a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigonioth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed in his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go onto the heights. And this is for the director of music on my stringed instruments. You may wonder why I read that last bit. It's important to realise as we read this chapter together today, This is not just straight prose. This is a a song or a poem uh, that is used uh, at the end of what has been uh, a discussion between Habakkuk uh, and God. And uh, I I, I kind of urge you to keep in mind that because it's important when we read God's word that we read it as it was meant to be written. Uh, And so some of the picture language in it is designed to be like poetry. uh, And yet it's still got a lot to say to us. Um, I have the real joy of finishing, or at least summing up some of Habakkuk uh, for you. And I'm going to try and do a bit of a broad sweep um, through the book first, because some of you I know haven't kind of maybe got the the full picture, and we're going to do that uh, together. But before I start, um, I think I've asked you this already, but not maybe as an evening congregation. Um, Have any of you here sneaked a peek at Christmas presents already? Anyone here? No? Some. (laughs) Good work. Thank you for being honest. It's nice. Um, <laughs> not this year, not this year. I mean, I've asked uh, Cornerstone, and uh, rather sadly, uh, about 80% had said that at some point in their life uh, they'd sneaked a, a peek at Christmas presents. Um, Zach is at the stage now where he is starting to feel that life is unjust. 
Why would mum and dad put up a tree, fill it with presents full of my name, or his name, as it were, and yet not let me open them now? The question is often, Danny, just one. No, wait till Christmas. He has no concept of when Christmas is. He wakes up every day kind of going, now? (laughs) No. How unfair must that seem to him? We've got this, this, this gift, this, this present that, that's, that's there, but it's, it's hidden. It, it's, it, it's just mean. What kind of parents must we be? And yet, I guess if I was to sum up this bit here, I want to try and encourage you that, that Habakkuk is going to stand strong uh, in suffering. Uh, he's going to lift God's name high for two reasons. Uh, number one, because he looks back. If Zach remembered that mummy and daddy aren't that bad after all, or at least mummy's not that bad after all, he maybe would trust us when we say, well, actually, no, not now. You need to wait. Secondly, Habakkuk is, is looking forward to a day when God is going to come and bash those bad Babylonians and lift God's people high again. And that's why when in the here and now, life is very tough, he finishes his book with a, a psalm of praise. Does that make sense? So for, for Zach, if he did that, he can't do that yet. He's nearly three. He can't do that. But for us, I, I guess it's the challenge. You know, Jeff has, has brought twice this idea of if God is, is, is all loving, uh, he would want to stop suffering. If he's all powerful, he could do it. Uh, so why doesn't he? Why is there still suffering? We're going to try and touch on that uh, as we come uh, towards an end. So, knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? I don't know if that's a description of your, your faith, your, your walk. When knocks come in life, when, when difficulties arrive, is your first question, where is God? Is that the way that, that your faith walk kind of goes? When, when difficulties come, somehow it doesn't match with your view that God should be looking out for you. I don't know, but I know that, that it's a very common approach. I'll love God because he's good to me. That tends to be quite a common thing. When struggles and strife comes, often we then suddenly go, where's God gone? And I guess that the challenge from this book is to say, well, we can still have faith. We can still be strong in our walk with God, even in the midst of what seems like horrible, dark times that are never-ending. And I want to try and encourage you with this, that if knock-knock who's there defines your faith walk at the moment, something's missing. Because we often love God because he's good to me, but actually we should love God because he's good. He is good. If I look back and I look forward, I know that's the case. The Bible finishes, God wins. Not, not literally, but that's, that's, that's the way it says it. God wins. All injustice is swept away. All tears will be wiped dry. All sickness will be gone. All death will be delivered and defeated. That's the, that's the God we worship. That's, that's why we know he's good. If I was to answer firstly someone who says, well, if God was all powerful and all loving, he'd get rid of suffering, I'd say, well, he has. It's just now and not yet. Sometimes now, always later. I mean, I look at this. But some background before I get too wound up and excited. Some background for you in case you don't know where this is coming in the Bible. In 920 uh, BC, uh, Israel and Judah, uh, the one kingdom, split. The, the northern tribes had a problem with the, the, the southern kind of Davidic kingdom. And they said, actually, do you know what? We don't want you anymore. We're going to do our, our own thing. Both, sadly, are full of kings and people that are not very good who turn from God. Both of those kingdoms. It's not that one was better than the other. They both were full of kings and people who turned from God. 
In 720 BC, or roughly, Israel falls to Assyria as prophesied. You've turned from God too many times, my people. You're going to be taken into exile. It's from an exile they never returned back from. Judah remains. Uh, just by the way, if you want to look at it, if you get bored, you can look at 2 Kings 17, 3-6 and read the history if you like. But um, hopefully you'll stick with me. Judah remains a little kingdom. They've actually played a bit of a role in their Syria getting Israel, which I hadn't realised before. Um, they make alliances at different points. But prophets warn that judgment's coming too. That judgment's coming too. And this is where this book kind of comes in. God's people are evil. And unlike other prophets who kind of go, God, you know, what are you saying to the people and then passing it on? Habakkuk says, you've promised judgment, God. Where is it? Do you remember in Habakkuk 1, he began, how long, O Lord, how long? He was literally calling down God's judgment on his people. That's where this book fits. Are you still with that? That's, that's where it kind of fits in to the Bible story. And I want to try and give you a bit of an overview. Uh, and I'm quite a visual, kind of simple person. So if you imagine it like a, a discussion between the two. Okay, Habakkuk is on this side. Habakkuk says to God, why don't you act? That's in Habakkuk 1, 1 to 4. You can look at that uh, later if you like. God says, well, Babylon's coming. Babylon is coming to, to bring judgment on the people. You've asked me, why don't I act? Babylon's coming. That's in Habakkuk 1, 5 to 11. Habakkuk then says, what? Babylon? They're worse than us. And God says in Habakkuk 2, 2 to 20, well, I've got plans for them too. They're, they'll see that I'm God, but they're who I'm going to use to bring judgment to you. And Habakkuk 3 finishes with this, this amazing picture of, well, you're bigger, you're bigger, God, than, than I ever realised. Because if you can work through Babylonians, that's, that's more mind-blowing. That's why in the cartoon, God says, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Habakkuk was, was thinking small and local, like we often tend to do. When suffering comes, when days of difficulty get, we forget the past, we forget the future. Everything is focused on, this is what I'm suffering right now. And God says, Habakkuk, Little Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe me if I told you how my plans were. Do, do you believe that, that God's plans span eternity? Is that, is that the God that you worship? That, that somehow he can weave your story into the story of history? Because that's, that's the God we worship. And yet he has a bigger plan, he knows. And to be honest, humanly, I can't answer why some of you are suffering as you are. It would be lovely if I could give you a nice, glib, easy answer. Oh, yeah, the reason why you're suffering is, well, God's just testing you. Well, no, sometimes it's just a result of the fallen world we live in. Oh, well, sometimes it's a result of the fallen world we live in. Well, no, sometimes people suffer because they sin. And it's the consequences of sin. Yeah, God takes away sin, but actually if I commit adultery, which I haven't, if I, if I commit adultery, God will forgive me, but there will be effects in my marriage. That's the way some suffering comes. Some suffering comes because, well, we can blame on Adam and Eve. It's just we live in a fallen world. Our bodies get sick and old. As Claire keeps pulling out photos of our marriage going, look what you used to look like, which is horrible. I, I realise that I'm ageing as I wait for my knee surgery in January. I know some of you are going, you're ageing. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. But God's got plans that are bigger than we can ever imagine. And I can't even promise that in your lifetime, God is going to fix some of the sufferings that you're facing. I can't promise that. Because a bit like Habakkuk, sometimes our prayer life would be until the day we die. Father, how long? How long? But what I can promise 
from God's word, from the God I know, is that one day, one day, even if you don't understand, you will accept. One day. And that's not a cop-out answer to go like with Zach. Yeah, Zach, Christmas is coming tomorrow. It's not like that. This is a genuine and a reality. Our God is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And a bit like Zach may not understand this year why he has to wait till Christmas. Maybe next year he will as he grows in his faith. And actually, some of the way we, we, we stand strong through suffering is going to help us to get that bigger picture of God. Because Habakkuk, I think, realises just what a big God he serves. Just to give you, and I'm, I'm going to take a bit of a digression before we actually get into Habakkuk 3. Can you just quickly turn to uh, Daniel, um, which is back a little bit, um, even though it kind of describes uh, Babylon. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 2. That's 884. Daniel chapter 2, 884. Okay, just a a couple of quick things. Just to show you what a big God we worship, okay, the people that take God's people into exile, this is the way God deals with them. That's what we're going to do just really quickly. And I, I hope this blows you away a little bit. So Nebuchadnezzar uh, is one of the kings. You got that? He's one of the, the Babylonians, kind of baddies. Okay, a um, couple of really quick things. We're not going to read uh, too much, okay? In Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in, in Daniel chapter 2, okay? Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel, uh, who has been one of God's people, who is now there in captivity, is challenged by the king. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not even going to tell you what my dream was, but I want you to tell me what the interpretation is. If you can truly do this, I won't need to tell you my dream you'll be able to know. Okay. And he has this dream about this statue that has like, different body parts. There's like one part and then another part and another part. Hopefully if you've been to Sunday school, uh, you may remember. Um, if you have a look at Daniel 2, uh, 31, Dan- Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the earth. And he interprets it and says, after your kingdom, the Persians are coming. And after them, another kingdom and another kingdom. Right the way through to people believe the Romans, who are kind of the iron, the iron ones. And then he talks about Jesus. In that passage, he talks about Jesus. That's the rock that stands forever. Did you know that God, who used the Babylon people to take his people into exile, had a plan for them? And he knew already what he was doing before he sent his people there. Did you know that? Did you know that that, that God, when Persia took over, used a king called Cyrus to release his people back to go and worship in Jerusalem? And then we read about Nehemiah building the wall. Did you know that? You may think to yourself, do you know what? I don't understand this suffering, but I tell you what, that is nothing compared to the understanding of what a glorious God we have, who is working in history in a way that's more mind-blowing than you could ever imagine. How could he use people that don't even believe in him to do his will? That is the God we serve. 
And if that kingdom represents suffering and darkness and all that's wrong in Habakkuk's world, and yet God is working in it and through it, can I encourage you tonight, first and foremost, picture your suffering like that kingdom and say to God, God, I don't understand, but I know you must have some plans. I was going to do more, but I can tell we need to kind of uh, crack along. Um, I'll go and read it. Go and read Daniel. It's such a good book. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that he's like a tree that's all wild. Um, and we're going to read in a minute in Habakkuk that God's going to humble the king that's going to do this. That, that's it coming true. Guys, this is the God we serve. You think Habakkuk's a tough book. You think suffering's bad. Our God is way bigger. Truly. Truly he's way bigger. I can't give you easy answers, but I can tell you that that God is bigger than you think and stronger than you think and more powerful than you think and more loving than you could ever imagine. I can tell you that. And not because I'm paid to do so, because I I love him. And through suffering and good times, he's shown himself. But anyway, let's get into this really quickly. Habakkuk 3. So that's the context. God says, okay, the Babylons are coming, but I've got plans for them. Uh, Habakkuk 3. Um, I want to try and encourage you. If you... You're not sure about who this God is. Let's just talk really quickly about the God of history. Habakkuk 3, uh, 1 to 3. Habakkuk says in chapter 2, Lord, uh, verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And he starts to remember and remind himself of the God who he worships. This God who is who's playing a role in his people even now when they've sinned and turned against him. When exile is beckoning, this is the God he serves. He remembers that the past shows that God is a loving God. Remember that thing that, 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 as Jeff rightly said, is a common argument people put forward. If God is loving, he would want to stop suffering. If he was all-powerful, he would do so. The second reason why that's wrong, or why it's an infallible answer, is that that's not the only reason you know that God's loving. Just if he would stop suffering is a very narrow way. If I say to myself, the reason I know that Claire loves me is that she stops beating me, that's, that's one aspect of her love. I know it sounds silly, but that's basically what he's saying. That's what that argument says. The one way we know God is loving is just this one thing. Rubbish. We can look back, can't we, to what God has done, and we can look forward to what God's going to do. That's a much better way of knowing someone. If I said to Claire, Claire, the one way I know you're going to love me is if you start supporting Chelsea and drop Tottenham. It's basically the same kind of thing. Or I could say to her, Claire, you'll be my faithful wife, like you promised to be and like you are. I'm I'm sorry to keep talking about myself, but hopefully that's the picture. The argument, it's wrong because it's just one aspect of God. Habakkuk looks back and he remembers that that God has been loving in the past. With God's people who were stiff-necked in the wilderness, who complained the minute he freed them from slavery, that actually they had better food back in Egypt when they were in chains. He remembered how God treated them. He remembered that, that God has been loving as he looks back. O Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. That's looking back. Do you get that? God is loving because the past shows us that God is loving. Whatever philosophy would say in that one question, God is loving. In Habakkuk 3, 4 to 7, and we're going to fly through this because we're going to focus at the last bit, which is 17 to 20. But um, Habakkuk 3, 4 to 7, the past shows that God is powerful. Verse 4, his splendor was like the sunrise, which is unstoppable and brings warmth and power. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. God's not powerless if he's not acting. It may be that his power is in his hands waiting to be released. God doesn't stop being powerful because he doesn't stop suffering in our lifetime. 
That's the second reason why that, that, that philosophy is wrong. The only way God shows his power is if he, if he stops my suffering. Well, what if by, by waiting on you in eternity, things are better? Isn't that a bigger display of, of power? Surely if God could defeat death like he did in Jesus, that's a better way of fixing it than keeping you all alive until we live to 969 and look a bit like, well, I'm not going to say, you can pick someone in the church who you think looks 969. That's the way God has done it. Why stop death in the here and now when the world is a broken place? Why not give us eternal life forever in a world that's perfect? I know which one I'd rather choose. Milton Keynes, Barbados. I apologise if you live in Barbados. The past shows that God is powerful. If you look through, verse 5, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. A verse I was going to ignore tonight because it's difficult. This is God walking in power with plague behind and pestilence in front. What's that about? Well, it could be actually a, a reminder that God freed his people from Egypt through plague and through illness and through pestilence. It could be that in the suffering of, of Egypt, we see how God wrought salvation for his people. It could be that, couldn't it? Maybe actually some of the ways we see suffering, sometimes it's just, it's just all negative. It's not always, but actually there are times where God will test your faith. And just when you think you've got him sorted in your head and you understand exactly what he's like, that's when he may say to you, oh good, you've got that bit? What about this? Faith is being sure of what you hope for. Not sure on a good day of what you hope for. That's, that's, that's the, the challenge in all of this. Habakkuk remembers that the past shows that God is powerful. Verse 6, the ancient mountains crumbled, the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. Habakkuk remembers, if you think your, your suffering's tough, and I'm not saying it's not, Habakkuk remembers that this is a God who, from the formlessness of creation, could, could alter the world that, that was around who is going to outlive the mountains which have been there forever in Habakkuk's lifetime. He starts to remember, looking back, God is powerful. Habakkuk 3, 8 to 11 expands on this. It's a bit of an odd passage. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? You uncovered your bow, verse 9, you called many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. Habakkuk remembers that the past in creation shows that God can bring order from chaos. Because he didn't just snap his fingers and stuff just appeared. If you read the Genesis account, there was stuff there that, that, that God uses and, and creates as he starts and then develops. And, and, and there's a sense of control out of chaos. From darkness, light. From just waters everywhere, order. In the middle of your suffering, I promise you, God can bring order to the chaos you may feel. Habakkuk remembers this by looking back. By thinking actually about the way that he'd established nations. That's a geographical fact. Nations and kingdoms. And lastly, before we get on to our, our, our final application, Habakkuk 3, 12 to 16, shows that God will save. Can you just read uh, verse 16 with me? Um, I, I challenge you, I would love if we as a church grasped this little bit of how we should think about God. Not the cuddly grandfather. I have heard about God and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled. Yet... I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk is afraid of the way God is going to treat the people who invaded them. 
just, just, I'll say that one more time. Habakkuk is afraid of the power God is going to display in bringing his people back from exile and defeating the nations that are currently defeating them. You, you may not be struck by that. It's a bit like, imagine playing football, yeah? And you've got someone in your team who is so good and so powerful, kind of Drogba-esque, that you're actually nervous to play with them. They're on your team, but their power and their strength, you're actually kind of in awe of it. You know, the problem with suffering is that suffering makes us rob God of the power that he still has. We kind of think of him as being powerless. He, I'm praying he's not doing anything. He, he's not powerful enough to sort out this mess. And yet Habakkuk remembers. This is a God who is right to say, actually, I'm going to stand at a distance because his power is, is, is matchless. The past shows that God is going to save. Because in verse 13 it says, You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness and you stripped him from head to foot. God has done it in the past. He saved David a number of times to set him up as king. We remember it most with Jesus in the middle of chaos and disaster as a world turned against him, as he suffered and was known as a man of sufferings. Not just a man who suffered, a man of sufferings. As, as he did that, God saved. As we think about Christmas, God with us to come to save us. That's, that's how much God... You think your sufferings are bad, and, and I'm not trying to negate them. They are, but, but, but put them against the cross. Put them against the power displayed there. Put them against the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead to life eternal. And, and maybe you can just grasp again that this God is worth trusting. Because no one else can promise that. No one else can deliver that. No one else has done that. This is the unique God we serve. So to finish, the God of history is the God of my story, of our story. And it may not be that that he fixes the one thing you're struggling with now or the things that are going to hit you tomorrow or on that idle Thursday when things just hit and you weren't expecting them. But the God of that is the God of this now. Of the God of your hurt too. And I, I want to just focus really kind of in an application way, at verses 17 to 19. And, and can I encourage you to take this home, to take this home, and this to become something you read every day this week. And I'm not saying that to kind of excite you. I'm saying that because this is the way that Habakkuk finishes his book for a reason. Okay, just, let's just read. If you read in your Bibles as well, uh, quietly, I'll read. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines... Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. If you're suffering or struggling or life seems empty and unfair, can I encourage you to, to use that as, as words? The reason I'm saying that is that it begins with the situation you're currently in. Life is empty. There's no crops. There's no sheep. It, it, it's empty. This is the situation that Habakkuk was currently in. Suffering will be a part of your faith journey. If you are a Christian because you're hoping somehow that death is not going to come, you're, you're living in a dream world. God has never promised that the Christian life or a life with him is to not have suffering. This is the last and the most important reason why that thing which we've heard, if God was all loving, he would stop suffering. If he was all powerful, he would. 
is rubbish. Because the bit they forget is that God has never promised to stop suffering in our lifetime. The poor you'll always have with you. He, he, he healed a lot of people when he lived, but they're not in Tesco's now because they died as well at some point. That the short-term answers to prayer are great and an encouragement into faith. And, and can I encourage you to keep seeking them? I'm not saying just ignore them and become this kind of stoic, oh, well, one day it will be fine. Keep calling out to God as Habakkuk did. God, how long, how long, help, how long, how long. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. But, but realize that suffering will be a part of your faith journey. And what I mean by that is that, that loved ones will get sick, however much you pray. And, and jobs will be unfair, however much you pray curses on your boss. And church will sometimes let you down and it will leave you empty and you think, actually, it's not helping me today. This is, this is part of the world we live in. But because we look back and we look forward and we have this God who is here and now, part of our story, that's an encouragement. And so I guess that the, the bit I want to try and encourage you with is this. Verse 18, yet, when that situation happens, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. That's a conscious choice. Do you see that? Though stuff is bad, yet, I will. I will. In God's strength, but that's a conscious choice. You may not be able to change the situation you're in. You may not be able to. But you can change the attitude you face it with. You can do that. It may take time. It may take effort. But you can do that. You can say, well, actually, today I trust that God is still with me. I trust that he is helping me. You know, God has laid the road ahead. He knew already with the Babylonians what he was going to do. He laid the road that his people were living in and suffering in. And that he knew the path would lead them to joy one day. And so I guess all we can do when we suffer, when we hurt, is just pray to God each day for the strength to take each step. Because verse 19 finishes, the sovereign Lord, the king who is in control of everything, is my strength. Look what Habakkuk says. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. When I'm in the lowest of the low, he enables me to go on to the heights. That's, that's the God we worship. Can I fix your suffering? I can't. But I can tell you that God can give you the strength to deal with it, to be brave through it, to give you a hope that lasts beyond what we face ever. I can tell you that the cross is bigger than anything we face. And not just because it sounds like good theology, because it's true. Because Jesus was a man of sufferings. He's familiar with it. God has laid out the path. He's walked that path before. He's not unfamiliar with suffering. He knows what you're going through. He loves, he cares, and is powerful enough to help you through. It may not be to fix the suffering, but it may be to do that in the short term. But I love the fact that Habakkuk has gone from doubting and questioning to finishing with those words. Even because of this, because of the past, because of what I know is to come, yet I will praise the Lord. And I pray that that will be the same for us too.